This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Presented by Liquid Spirits Beverage Catering Company. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 63 of Small Talk. I'm your host as always, Michelle Smallman. And sorry that we missed a week with the pod. We had some scheduling issues with guests and things. And then I ended up in urgy care because my eye was swollen shut. Very bizarre. Don't worry, I'm fine. But we are back on track this week. We have a great baseball conversation on deck for you. I live in St. Louis. The Cardinals are in the NLCS. Baseball is my life. So we're going to continue that. And we're going to talk to Chris Singleton of ESPN about the Cardinals' chances of coming out of that 0-2 deficit in the NLCS and Clayton Kershaw Kershawing again in the postseason. Yikes. Gotta feel bad for that guy. But before we talk to Singy, I want to do three random things because it's been a while since we've done it. The shape of this podcast is kind of evolving and I wanted to bring it the hell back. So our first random thing is that I want to introduce someone who's been working on the podcast to you guys, the listeners. You knew Saruti, you knew Freeze Pops, but since we've had to break up the band, we have a new person on the squad here, and his name is Anthony. And Anthony's an interesting character, so I want you to get to know him. So, Anthony, hello. Please tell our audience a little bit about yourself. I love that you wait till we start recording to bring up that your eye was swollen. You had to go to urgent <laughs> care in this confined space, first of all. No, no, it was a week ago. We're good. <laughs> You Don't never worry, know how long it lasts. I am not contagious. I know. I'm just messing around. Um, uh, what's up? Uh, I'm Anthony. <laughs> I do weekends on the points, and somehow I got I got uh, ended up on this thing. So I'm here for it. It's fun. You have a great voice, Anthony. Thank you. I'm sure you get that all the time. I do. I do. I've, it's gotten to the point that it's it's almost um, like I despise the good things in my life. It's how bad it. I mean, like life is good, but like people are like, oh, you're so tall. Like, yeah, I don't care anymore. Oh, you have a great voice. I don't give a shit because <laughs> nobody ever has a job. Whatever, I have one now. So wait, cool. how tall are you? Because you are very tall. On a confident day, like a six four, six five. If I'm feeling some self doubt, probably like a six three. Just depends. I'm going six five. I shrink in the cold too. You never know what happens. That seems like a personal matter, but it is anyway, a personal matter. <laughs> like eye gunk. So you, so you're very tall. You have this great deep voice, and I'm painting the picture for everyone. You also have very long hair, and it's amazing. And I'm very jealous. Oh of well, it. thank you. I, I did not know you were jealous of it. Yeah, I've been growing it uh, for six years now. And do you get trims regularly? Do you condition? I Take try it to. Your routine. to. The, the mistake I make is that I keep sleeping with the people that trim my hair. And then it ends up poorly, and then I have to find someone else to cut my hair, and then try not to sleep with them. So it's then again another personal issue that I have going on. Okay, we I obviously cannot oh. just let that pass. We have to deep dive. So you go in for trims, and then you end up sleeping with your hairdressers. Yeah, yeah. How many times has this happened? Three times. Three times. Are they all at the same salon? No, no, that would be weird. When that that'd be like a sitcom. Look at this. Whatever. Um, no, it just it just happens. Like the last one was like a friend that I known for quite some time, who just happened to do hair. Um, but then, like uh, before that, it was just random, you know, sports clips or you know, uh, great clips or something like that. It would just kind of begin. It began in college, really, before I started growing out my long hair. Uh, but then it, it progressed even more. You know, there's a lot of dudes listening to this podcast, and they're probably like, "I need to get to a sports clip." Or at least just start growing out your hair, you know, <laughs> add some charisma to it, you know, uh, condition. I've learned that. I have, I've been using two-in-one all my life, and now I've learned that I have to get separate bottles for things. I'm still learning this whole hair thing. Yeah, yeah, never go two-in-one. Okay. I mean, if you're sleeping with hairdressers, you should have learned that. Oh, I know. They, oh, I get little sample packets of things that they get, you know, that come in, whatever. Little sample squeeze-out uh, things like you would find in a magazine that you tear out and squeeze out. Yes. Sort of samples. I get a bunch of those. Are used to, I guess. So. Well. And, I'm hoping, Anthony, if you're sleeping with hairdressers, that they're not only going to give you these tips, but hopefully, like, hook you up with some products. Yeah, no, that, that's that's the idea. That's why I'm in it. I'm in it for the hair care, <laughs> really. 
<laughs> so I think I need to find a male hairdresser. <laughs> it could work. It could be a thing. I have no idea. But it's a very intimate thing to, with the hair. So it's probably why it happens. I tell people this all the time. And we've talked about this on the podcast. Hair is everything. If your face is the window, the hair is the drapes. And if you're having a, I have talked about this before, I feel like there's so many women out there that are hair pretty, that their face might not necessarily be a 10, but because they have killer hair, dudes are like, wow, she is so hot. Oh, that's so cruel. But isn't it true, though? It is true. It is or true. If you have, though, if you have hair a pretty, beautiful, beautiful face God, and bad funny. hair, people can be like, mm, but the hair. Hair is so important. Yeah. And, and I also believe there's a double standard because I don't do enough with mine, and I know that you definitely spend a lot of time with yours. Luck spends a lot of time on hers. And I just get up and go. It's not fair. It's not. I'm sorry. And you have like a nice sheen to it. I know. It's I, that cocoa butter. I'm going to have to take a picture of you and post it on Instagram or Twitter so that people can see how long it is because cool. it is so impressive. Um, Saruti, who is my friend who used to be on this podcast, our listeners know him. He had long hair and had a man bun. Mm-hmm. And the last day before he cut his hair, he let it hang down. And I couldn't believe how long it was. In the entire day, I was like, can I braid your hair? Can we put it in a ponytail? Can we do like a, a topsy-turvy type situation? Can we do two separate ponies? And he's like, no. And so I wonder, are you ever tempted to style it in any way? Um, I do occasionally get, get braids done. Um, I used to uh, hang out on the air on Saturdays at the old <laughs> station and get my hair braided while I was on the air. That was a lot of fun for whatever six months that we were there before we came over here. Um, but yeah, but I was very anti. Like I think I only spiked my hair once sometime when I was living in Florida. Some New Yorkers convinced me to spike my hair, and I just never did it again. It looked all right, but it's just, it's just not my thing. Okay, well, we're going to work on that. We're going to try to have to make a bet or something, and if you lose, we get to style your hair. Oh, I'm in, I'm in for styling. I just can't get rid of any of it. Okay, deal. Are you going to grow forever as yeah. long as you can? Uh-huh. You're never going to cut it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spiritual purposes. Amazing. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Good for you. you. All right. Well, that is Anthony. He is very tall. He has amazing hair, a deep voice, and he has a thing for hairdressers. So I I unfortunately do, apparently. (laughs) If you're into that, hit him up. Where can they find you on socials? Uh, Anthony Untamed, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. And I'm on the points, mostly. Anthony Untamed. Are you Untamed? Yes, very much. If you can tell by the hair. (laughs) Okay, great. All right. Well, random thing number two. I've been inundated with sports recently. The Blues are back in action. The Cardinals are in the postseason. I have no life. I'm working all weekend. But it's great. It's like the best thing. You want to be working all all the time. You want to be working every weekend because that means your teams are doing well. Your city's thriving. But when you have downtime during a time like this, you don't want to watch sports. I don't want to watch NFL. I don't really want to anyway. But on my Sunday, I had my Sunday free and I go, you know what? I'm going to work on a show. I'm going to work on a new show, something that has nothing to do with sports. And I settled on The Politician on Netflix. Have you watched it? I've only seen the trailer. Okay. And what did you think of the trailer? Um, I was slightly offended because as someone who eats ass, I too am a bud munch. And I don't think it's reserved just to a gay thing. According to the trailer, and I have never seen the actual, I've, you brought me in this for to be explicit, right? This is why you brought me in, just to be clear. <laughs> I did not know what to expect out of this conversation, and it's really exceeding every expectation I'm, I had. I'm, I'm glad. So yeah, no, as someone who munches butt, I was a little taken back that it was strictly a gay thing in the show, because, um, I mean, who doesn't eat ass in 2019? <laughs> uh, but uh, but I don't know, it just didn't seem like my, it looked quirky and, and, and humorous and entertaining, but I just don't think I'd ever watch it because I just don't care to watch people practice politics. I don't know. So it has a political lean, but not modern politics, if that makes sense. I also feel like if you were running for office, 
that would be your slogan, who doesn't eat ass in 2019? <laughs> that could be your... 100%. <laughs> I could just see it on t-shirts everywhere. Eat ass 2020. <laughs> eat a booty gang 2019. We're out here. Oh. Shout out to uh, uh, Trick Daddy because he's the head of the Eat a Booty Gang. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. He's been talking about eating booties since like 2001, man. Trick loves the kids. Uh, tr- we know Which that. Is a separate note, by We the know way. Trick loves the kids, but let's not put those two things those in the separate same things, sentence. separate by yes, the way. Correct. Just so like, we're clear. Let's just really delineate that those two things are not going together. So... All right. Well, here's my takeaway from the politician. First of all, Ben Platt is the star of the show. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he may be the most talented person in America. He can act. He's got the voice of an angel. The character that he plays is this young man who was adopted, but into a billionaire family. And he has aspirations of being president. But his ambition is so all-consuming and overwhelming that it kind of turns him into a sociopathic, terrible person. So it's about him being that person, the consequences that follow, and how he adjusts. But it's great. And they have all these interesting characters. There's a little bit of a musical element from time to time. It's it's shot very beautifully. Um, I love the the style of it. It's kind of a Wes Anderson lens, almost, if you're okay. a fan of yeah, Wes yeah, Anderson. Yeah. It's kitschy and funny, but also very dark. It just had a lot of layers to it. And I think it's A-plus content, and people should check it out, including you. I, I will take a break from watching Big Mouth uh, and learn about Bussy. So, yeah, it sounds like a better po- a better choice to make. What's Big Mouth? Big Mouth is a cartoon about uh, children transitioning through puberty. Oh. Uh, Nick Kroll does a lot of the voices. Um, you remember uh, Rafi from The League? No, I never watched The League. You never watched The League? Oh, man, it was a good show. Um, anyways, there's a character on there that, that stood out pretty well, and he has a voice in there, too. But it's it's also, also a highly recommended cartoon. Okay, Big Mouth. Put it on yeah, the list. put it on the list. Where can I watch it on Netflix? Yes. Okay, done. Yes. Okay, so random thing number three. Since I have been inundated with baseball and working all the time, and hockey, of course, 101 ESPN, you're home for St. Louis Blues hockey, I haven't really done anything um, in the fall realm yet, and by that I mean I haven't picked a pumpkin. I haven't baked anything with apples. You know, I haven't (laughs) worn flannel yet. I haven't done all of these fall type things. And everything I see on my social media timelines, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, is everyone enjoying all of this stuff, which is great. You know, fall's an awesome, awesome season. I understand. But the obsession with pumpkin and pumpkin spice everything, I hate to be a negative Nancy, but I just feel like it's overblown. I mean, you don't have to add pumpkin or pumpkin spice to everything. I'm seeing people talking about pumpkin spice latte. It's PSL season. Oh, I made this pumpkin spice mousse. You know, oh, I'm going to have this, like pumpkin spice oatmeal. It just seems like the obsession with pumpkin has gone a little overboard. I agree 100%. And I know you know it's gone too far when we start abbreviating it because it's PSL season. I had no idea that was a, that was a thing until you <laughs> said it so yeah i yeah i'm over it i've been over it and it's got it's, it's way too extreme because it's it's everywhere it's in every product you can imagine things that don't need pumpkin spice have pumpkin spice i know i saw i was over at you know the grocery store and it's like they have this entire rack it's like pumpkin spice chocolate chip cookies pumpkin spice beer pumpkin spice oatmeal you're like my god do we need all of this man not to mention does pumpkin even have a spice flavor like that isn't it just made up isn't it not like not real isn't it all artificial yeah what this is see. This is why I wanted to bring you in the conversation. You're right. What is the spice in pumpkin spice? I'm pretty sure it's just a simple gourd. <laughs> Hold on. Now I need to Google this. Let's see. It sounds artificial. I'm, pretty, sure. I'm pretty sure it is. It's like um, not cinnamon, but like some cinnamon and something. Oh, by the way, if you Google pumpkin spice, oh, careful. Some weird things come. Up. Okay, yeah. So pumpkin spice. 
is basically pumpkin pie spice. Okay. So it's a blend, oh, the more you know, of ground cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, nutmeg. cloves, and sometimes allspice. But none of it actually pumpkin. But 0% pumpkin. 0% pumpkin. <laughs> or at least according to Wikipedia, so I yeah. know that's true. Which I know it's true, 100%. I'm backing that. But it just seems like, okay, homemade pumpkin spice recipe, easy pumpkin spice latte, all the Trader Joe's pumpkin spice products you can get ranked. I mean, you have a pumpkin loaf, pumpkin spice cinnamon rolls. I'm all for pumpkin having its day. I'm all for pumpkin being its pumpkin glory. I just, it's just, it's not real. It just makes me like it less. Yeah. That I see it everywhere. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a special thing anymore. I can't bite into a pumpkin and get said spice and then like enjoy myself. I can't roast a pumpkin and eat said spice. It, it has to be added. It's not, it's not a real thing. It's not a real thing. <laughs> not a real thing. Everything's a lie. Well, Anthony, thank you for joining me. <laughs> These for, listeners have no idea what's going to hit them. For three ra- yeah, they're like, what is going on? He's going to be back in the podcast later. You're going to hear from Anthony. But coming up next, we are going to talk a little baseball with ESPN MLB analyst Chris Singleton. I'm so pumped to welcome Chris Singleton to the podcast this week. Singy, how are you doing? Thanks so much for the time. Oh, Michelle, it's great to be here. And uh, it's October, so it's an awesome time of the year. You know that. Oh, absolutely. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know in St. Louis, we live for Red October. We live for postseason baseball. So I certainly want to start there with you, Singy, with the Cardinals and LCS in an 0-2 hole versus the Nationals. And I know that the Cardinals have seen some really strong pitching out of first Sanchez and then Scherzer over the weekend. But let's face it, there's really no other way to spin it other than the fact that their offense has been atrocious. You have a pinch hitter in Jose Martinez, who's two for two, but the rest of the hitters, two for 55. You're not going to win when you go two for 55. So how do you think the Cardinals ignite this anemic offense? Something's just going to have to click. I mean, these are obviously talented guys, and they've had their stretches where they've hit really well. Um you know, and there are times where it's gone cold, and it really seems like the the polar opposites at times is is really extreme for a team that you know is as good as they are and won the division. But you know, I even go back to the final weekend of the season uh, when the Cardinals were trying to win the division, and you're playing against the Chicago Cubs team that basically was running their Triple A team out, and you lost the first two games of that series and you're playing game 162 uh trying to win the division still and it was just one of those things where you know you're looking and you're not seeing the offense click you're not seeing things click and and you're saying what's going on like these guys should be you know just with a dagger right now um you know at the throat of the cubs and and really you know as well to the brewers and locking down the division so what i saw that final weekend of the season um, outside of Jack Flaherty's start on Sunday, and and offensively, what they did um, is kind of that same team. The first two games of really important games um, of the year, and here we are, and you know, in this ALCS, two really big games and a real opportunity uh, to beat a team and punch a ticket to the World Series. And their backs are up against the wall right now. And Mike Schiltz is taking some heat for a few of his managerial choices in the NLCS. People are questioning when he pulled Adam Wainwright in game two. People are questioning his lineup construction. But overall, how would you grade Mike Schiltz's managerial performance so far this postseason, his first postseason? Yeah, I think he's done a, a, a great job. I mean, obviously I haven't managed and I haven't been in this situation, but I've been in the game you know, long enough as a player and playing the playoffs and as a broadcaster you know, doing every series and being um, 
around these managers on a on a daily basis and and at times in intimate you know settings having conversations and it's it's one of those things like you know the learning curve as it's there for everyone um and the game speeds up when you get into more high pressure situations and you get into october baseball and just one contrast we can look at the difference in 2019 for aaron boone from 2018 you know aaron boone was getting killed last year for um, being slow to make moves, um, particularly with his pitchers in the playoffs last year and losing to the Red Sox. This year, a different guy. He, he's got a feel, but there's no way around getting experience and getting reps. So even though people could you know, try to point out, well, Schilt didn't do this, didn't do that. In October, if it doesn't work, you're a dummy. If it works, you're a genius. And that's just how it goes. And everyone has you know, the second guest machine, you know, dialed up on their lap to uh, just, you know, point the finger as if they would have in the moment when things are moving really fast and there are a lot of other considerations that they would have gotten it right. And that's what's, it's not fair, but that's reality. Um, and there's no way around uh, any of that kind of scrutiny. You just have to, to deal with it. But I would say in the first year, um, man, I, I mean, I don't know that people – automatically expected the Cardinals to be in the NLCS. And uh, you're here. It's not over yet. Get some games, and I uh, just keep on plugging away. But even if, you know, they lose this series, I still think you look and say, Mike Schultz had a really good year, and the Cardinals had a really good year. I totally agree. And one of the things that has made Mike Schilt so successful with this team is that he doesn't overreact and he has a steady hand and he remains confident in his players, even when the public or the fans may not have that same confidence. So I wouldn't expect him to change course just because it's the postseason. And and that doesn't mean that I don't think that he should necessarily tweak some things or reevaluate some things. But I kind of appreciate that when the stakes get higher, that he's remaining the same. Right. And Remember, this is his first full season as the manager. He's in the NLCS. Like, everybody relax. You know, he took over the team midseason last year. So, you know, he's done really well. I know you want to see your team and you have beliefs that they can do great. Sometimes it's just who's lucky and who's hot at the right time. And that can easily swing one way or the other. So far, it's been the Nationals. And, and, um, they've been hot and they've been lucky and it's not been that way on the other side for the Cardinals. Speaking of the Nationals, Singy, I want to ask you about their closer, Daniel Hudson, and his decision to miss game one of the NLCS to be with his wife and his family for the birth of their third child. And this, of course, has become a huge talking point, a pretty divisive talking point. And people are pretty concretely on one side or the other of this argument. You have one side of the room who seems to follow the thought process that former Marlins president David Sampson has and I'm paraphrasing here, but he tweeted something along the lines of the fact that Daniel Hudson is missing game one of the NLCS is inexcusable. He needs to get to St. Louis. And then it feels like the other side of the room tends to side with Sean Doolittle, Nationals pitcher, who said if your reaction to someone having a baby is anything other than congratulations, I hope everybody's healthy, you're an a-hole. Singy, you were a professional baseball player. You know what a moment like the NLCS means to a professional athlete, but you're also a father, and you know what it means to be there for those big moments, including the birth of your child. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about Daniel Hudson's decision to skip game one of the NLCS. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, definitely, like, 
newsworthy because these are the big, you know, times of the year, but also very cool in the sense of, wow, man, this guy gets it. And I'll just say this, when it comes to something like that, I would don't even listen twice to the criticism of an individual who's never been in uniform as a player or as a coach or even been um, in that situation to understand the sacrifices. I know everyone says, oh, well, ball players make millions of dollars, so it shouldn't matter. Uh, there are a lot of sacrifices that are made also and um, time that you can't get back. There, there are little league games that dads are missing. There are sometimes – you know, whether it's, you know, prom, seeing your daughter go to prom, whether it's, you know, 4th of July having dinner in the uh, in the backyard with the family like everybody else does, but you're playing baseball. Um, you know, those are things that although people say, well, you get paid lots of money, so you should be fine. Yeah, it's okay, but, you know, life is about relationships, and life is about memories and experiences that you have and ones that are going to be, you know, so meaningful that you, you take with you to your, you know, your very last, you know, breaths on this earth. And so, you know, the fact that you look at things and sometimes we all have to be careful with um, not really taking a step back and looking and having perspective. We can be, you know, consumed at times with, you know, I got to get this done or I got to accomplish or I got to move to the next level. And you overlook what's most important, and those are relationships. Because at the end of your career, the end of your life, it's not going to be about, hey, how many followers did you have on Twitter? How many people, you know, subscribe to your podcast? How many people this, that, and other? It's going to be like, no, who are the people that you loved and the people that loved you and the people that um, you had an impact on? And that's what it boils down to. So, you know, for Hudson, being there for the birth of your child. You know, I'm thankful I was able to be there for the birth of, you know, each of my three children. And I can have conversations with them at some point or another, maybe when they have their own kids. And I could say, hey, you know, I remember when, you know, mom and I were in Chicago and we, we got in a cab at 3 a.m. to get to the hospital to, you know, so that she could have you and just everything that we felt and what's going on. Like that stuff is priceless. And uh, you know what? Um, as much as people may think otherwise, a World Series trophy is not priceless, but a child's life and that, that mom and that wife who is risking her life bringing the child into the world, you can't put a price tag on that. And to your point, I understand having that initial reaction of, hey, you know, this guy has worked his entire career for a postseason moment like this. And what about his teammates? He has the team to consider. I really do understand that. But before we connected for this interview, I read Jeff Passan's piece on ESPN about this, and it's a great piece. People should go read it. It really chronicles this decision and Daniel Hudson missing game one but he's talking about this decision with his wife and he says to her what if something bad happened and I wasn't there and I think for me that kind of seals it at the end of the day he's more than an athlete he's a husband he's a father and for him to be concerned about the health of his wife and his child and want to be there for his family in that moment I don't know how anybody could really be critical of that and, and Daniel Hudson's had what, like two or three arm surgeries? I yes. mean, this guy, baseball is not, I don't know him personally, but all I can say, when a person has that kind of experience, you know what? You put things in perspective a whole lot more, and you understand that, you know what? Yeah, I got this game today, but I've blown my arm out. My career, you know, has been 
seriously threatened more than just once. And I've had to come to learn that this is great and it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity, but it's not life itself. And uh, I would imagine Daniel Hudson's perspective is better than most of ours because of the adversity he's had in his career with his health. For sure. Okay, so um, I want to circle back to the Cardinals at the end, but I want to talk to you about some bigger picture baseball things. So obviously here in St. Louis, we always have one eye trained to the north side of Chicago, and the Cubs are so intriguing to me for so many reasons. But, you know, they decided to part ways with their manager, Joe Madden. And sure, a manager always shoulders some blame for a team's success or lack thereof. And Joe Madden played his role in the team not living up to expectations this season. But I wonder how many of the Cubs' issues were really actually on on Joe Madden. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I mean, although you Darvish was you know better this year than last year, Joe Madden didn't sign you Darvish. Joe Madden's not responsible for um, signing or making trades and putting guys in the bullpen um, or you know even providing the depth of the roster. He's given a roster, and that's what he's got to manage. So he's not the hitting coach. He's not the pitting pitching coach. He's the manager, and he's got to oversee it all um, and trust that the people that the organization has hired to fulfill these roles can do their jobs with excellence. Um, Now, when you're talking about a manager, what type of leader, what type of uh, environment and culture does he help create? What are his in-game decisions and strategy? Like, you know, did Joe Madden, from that perspective, you know, fail the club or the organization? I don't think so. I think there, there's more to it. And sometimes, you know, you just, you got to rearrange the furniture. You got to make a change. Um, you got to spruce things up. Uh, that happens in, in so many different areas of life. And I think this was uh, one of those as well, where it was just, it was time. And because we're in this analytics and sabermetrics, you know, era everyone is under so much more like scrutiny and evaluation because we're looking at all kinds of different numbers and projecting wins and losses, projecting, you know, so much. So that a manager like Joe Madden, we were talking the other day and if you went back, you know, 15 years ago, let's just say, or maybe even 10 years ago, you bring a World Series championship to a city and an organization that hadn't had one in over 100 years, that in and of itself buys you like another four or five years. Right. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, you that, that bought just off of that accomplishment. But as we see as it is with players, it is with managers as well. Teams are not p- paying players in free agency for what they've done in the past. That's how it used to be. Now they're paying you for what they think you will do going forward. And in the same way, looking at a manager, yeah, you you brought the big one home for us. No one alive here has ever seen a championship with this, you know, this side of town and this organization. But that's happened. We're looking at where we think you're going to be able to take us going forward. And uh, that was the end of it. And I think also you look at the salary. Managers are making, you know, more than really, you know, Two million, probably at this point. I mean, that's probably on the high side now. As we cycle through some of the guys of Bruce Bochy and, and Joe Madden, and we've seen, you know, Sosha's been out now. Um, those are some of your higher end uh, skippers. I'm sure I'm forgetting maybe one or two, but you know, that's resetting as well. And we're seeing that range come down to 
you know, under $2 million for a manager. So I, I think as well the Cubs aren't looking at wanting to pay a manager you know, what they were paying Joe Madden. And one of those things as well, it's kind of an insult if you have an individual that was making $6 million, say, yeah, you know, we'd like to bring you back, but we want to bring you back for two years at uh, $4 million. Even though that's still a really good, you know, salary and a good opportunity, there is that pride factor too that the manager or a player, it's like, how, why would I do that? Like, I just, you know, I'm still good. Um, so I think the other several things that are, that have come into that mix. And when you hear Theo and his comments in the postmortem of the Cubs season, one quote that really stood out to me is when he said it's going to be really important for the next manager of the Cubs, specifically this particular group, to find a way to foster a team identity, which I think is interesting because I thought Joe Madden certainly brought an identity to this team. But Theo kind of said, you know, it's more individual players, not necessarily a cohesive group. And they talk about in-house candidates with the Cubs or names like David Ross, who played there, but I wonder if to actually really implant that identity that he might be referencing or looking for, that the best fit for that gig is maybe outside the organization somewhere. Uh, I think David Ross could, you know, do a really good job at that. Um, you know, having been part of that team and still working as a, an advisor and, you know, I de- I know David and we've had conversations and um, there were things that you know, he would see over the last, you know, year or two about the team and the chemistry and guys that, you know, there's, there's something missing in the soup and you, you, it's not so much the manager. It's about the guys you have in that room and your roster construction. You know, there are many times where you, you got to have a couple of guys that bring some balance. They bring some edge and they help to bring some accountability. Um, You know, when I look at, this year, when the Cubs added Nick Castellanos, it was interesting, and you probably you know read some of the articles and heard as well because in his enthusiasm and exuberance to be playing and chasing a pennant and also be out of Detroit where they're losing all the time to a team that's very talented where they're winning, like this guy like bouncing off the walls, it seemed every day, coming to the ballpark, playing the game. And so excited and the contrast between his enthusiasm level and where some of the, you know, already, um, you know, Cubs were, was, uh, was, you know, a bit polarizing because it's like, why don't they have that fire? Why don't they have that excitement and exuberance? And it's human nature to get comfortable with, you know, success or good things. And you just kind of can become a little complacent, even when you don't think you are complacent. Sometimes you need something just to light your fire and fire you up and get going. And uh, so, so part of it was not having the, the right guys in the room. Um, and that's got to come from Theo, not from Joe Madden or not from whoever the next skipper is on the team. I mean, it can be a, a part of it, the skipper, but he can't do it by himself. It, that clubhouse has got to be a place of accountability that first starts with the players. Yeah, you need the manager to set the tone, but then you need a person like for the Cardinals, for instance, like an Adam Wainwright or a Yadier Molina or a Paul Goldschmidt to then also assume that same thread throughout the clubhouse. Definitely. Absolutely. Okay, so speaking of Madden, what do you think? He's a lock for the Angels gig? Uh, it would seem like it just because the, you know, the owner, Arte Marino, um, 
and Joe go way back. I mean, Joe spent the majority of his career in the Angels organization, you know, developing players and then on staff with Mike Socio, you know, third base coach, and they won the World Series, I believe. So there's a lot of history there. Um, it would seem like that's the spot. Um, the only other spot that I could really imagine would be um, the Mets or, you know, I mean, the Mets or the Padres, I just see Joe as like that guy. I mean, I know Philadelphia is there, but I don't know. I just don't quite see Joe and his style uh, being a great fit in Philadelphia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would have to think the Angels would be the top, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being one of the others, San Diego or New York. This I hope this doesn't come off as insensitive, but I was reading today about what's going on with the Angels organization and the fact that their PR director revealed that he provided opioids to Tyler Skaggs, who tragically passed away earlier this year. And I was thinking to myself after I was reading through this, I thought, you know, it would be a, a great thing for them to bring in Joe Madden from a PR standpoint. Here's a guy who you know, is very media friendly and I think the fan base would really be endeared to and could certainly kind of shift away some of that negative stuff and also, you know, bring in a little bit of lightness and levity to an organization that's dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's possible that that could, um, you know, sort of be a, a good distraction from, you know, the negativity that's going to swirl around that organization for the next, you know, year or two or however long it takes um, for this to get settled. Um, but again, I mean, remember, you know, just from that sort of on the field, off the field incident, I mean, you know, Joe being in Chicago with the whole Addison Russell um, mm-hmm. situation. And um, sometimes, I mean, we've seen it right with, uh, you know, what's the guy's name? Um, the Ohio state football coach that, uh, Urban Meyer that, you know, yeah, Urban Meyer. And, you know, what did he know? What did he did not mm-hmm. know about the domestic, you know, violence there? And so sometimes, you know, these leaders, they get painted um, one way or the other. And it's usually, you know, negatively, sometimes rightly so. But then sometimes it's like, hey, what, you know, everyone assumes that because you are a teammate or you are a coach or you're a manager and you spend so much time with all these players, you know what they're doing. Do you think Clint Hurdle had any idea that Felipe Vasquez was, you know, involved with, you know, child pornography or the things that, or at least the allegations against him that, you know, call, you know, brought him to arrest. I mean, everyone thinks, Oh man, they're having a rough year. And, and here there's that they should have known like you don't know like what guys are doing and what people are doing and and what's really going on um so you know one way or the other you can get painted negatively as far as you know how complicit you were or not um but most times people want to place blame um on everyone that's around it so i i just don't know exactly how much that card of uh, we could play of joe coming in and you know, he's going to be the sort of, um, you know, calming force and peacemaker and bring everyone, you know, back to a better state because if, you know, someone starts looking and saying, oh, they have that domestic violence thing in Chicago, and I don't, you know, mean to, to joke about the domestic violence, just about, okay, we have something in his past. And, you know, you know, we're in a time where everybody's digging into, you know, everyone's past as to 
what have they been a part of? And you've been maybe lumped into something that wasn't really your fault, but it is what it is in terms of where the scrutiny's at right now. All right, I have one more baseball question for you before we dive into Singy the person. But Clayton Kershaw, I can't stop thinking about Clayton Kershaw. You know, he comes into game five of the NLDS, eighth inning, Dodgers have a 3-1 lead, three pitches, back-to-back home runs. Dodgers end up losing the game, and I just can't shake the image of Kershaw sitting alone in the dugout with his head hanging down, blankly staring at the ground. And, you know, there's so many theories about Kershaw and why his greatness in the regular season can't be replicated in the postseason. And I was actually on the field before game one of the NLCS, and I was talking to Pedro Gomez about this, and he floated the idea that Kershaw's delivery is a little awkward and violent. And maybe after doing that for six months every season, from a physical ability standpoint, the gas tank is just empty by the time he gets to the postseason. But, Singy, when you look at what we've seen from Kershaw in the regular season and then the postseason, how do you come to terms with that disparity between regular season and postseason Kershaw? It's it's a long year. And you know, when you are competing every fifth day, um, not only to lead your team to a victory, but you're also to an extent competing against yourself for another Cy Young award or an MVP, you know, possibly. And the pressure that goes into every start. And I'm not saying pressure like, Oh, we got to win this game, but there's a different standard that superstars have. And, you know, they kind of have to, the weight of that, that they have to carry. Now it's not like it's this burden they don't want, but this game, as we talk about it, it's so mental um, you know, sure, it's very physical, but it's all driven by, you know, the mind and understanding situations and making adjustments from pitch to pitch, prepare all these different things. And so I would say along with, you know, the physical toll in the body, I mean, he's got a lot of miles on him. I mean, he got the big leagues at a very young age and he's, he's done a lot, um, even though he's still somewhat young in terms of what he's got left in his career, you know, numbers wise um age wise but yeah that's a lot and i think you you can kind of you know run out of gas and i think he does you know get low on gas into the postseason and uh just hasn't been able to go but he's also not the same pitcher that he was five years ago um and i know there were some issues then but even more so now when you don't have the stuff that you had um, but when you were younger, where you you know you had more zip, the ball came out of your hand, you know better, you had better velocity, and then you get to this time of the year, it, it can be tough. Whether you know there's a mental block for him, to some degree, could be there. Um, as I was just saying, this game is so mental, not just in the adjustments that you're trying to make, but also you know the demons that you're dealing with at times in terms of you know, success and do I deserve to be successful? All right, things are going good. What bad is going to happen now? Like all these different things that players, just like regular people, you know, have to go through. They just have to do it on a really, you know, brightly lit stage um, where a lot of people are counting on them. So that's kind of how I see it with Kershaw. It's not going to um, deter his entry into the Hall of Fame any, any bit, but I know, uh, I would imagine that if he goes through his career and as much as he's accomplished, 
personally and even you know within the success of that team if he doesn't win a world series championship that'll be something that could very well eat at a player um you know of his caliber I don't know how it can't. When you hear him after the game and he says everything that they say about me in the postseason is true, your heart just breaks for the guy. Yeah, yeah, and, and but that may be a good thing. I, I kind of I liked hearing that because whether it's competing or performing in sport or whether it's in life, until we can truly acknowledge what the current reality is. We can't truly fix it or correct it. Um, and maybe an example of you know remembering as a player when you're struggling and it's like you fall out of an airplane and you're you're falling to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can get that visual, you're fighting the whole way. You're fighting to try to fly. You're try, fighting to try to stay in the air, but you're headed to the ground. And it's kind of one of those things where in sport, I found, at least in my career, the longer I fought, the, the end result of my struggle or failure, the longer the struggle or failure lasted. But the moment I was able to look it in the eye and say, okay, I'm going to hit the ground and it's going to make a loud crash and it could be devastating, but that's okay. If that's what happens, I can live with it. I'll live with it. And that's when whatever happens emotionally, biochemistry, everything just comes into alignment and you see yourself ascend and you get back to being the player that you could be. And, and you, you could know this in your mind. Maybe you experienced it before, but you still go through the same thing a lot of times when you struggle. You fight it, you fight it, you fight it, you fight it. And then you finally get to that point where you release it and say, okay. And I think for Clayton Kershaw to be able to say, yeah, you know what? My performance, it doesn't define me who I am as a person, but my performance, yeah, it's exactly what everyone has said to this point. And okay, well, Clayton, if that's, you're going to have this great regular season career. And if that's what your postseason looks like, are you okay with that? Can you live with it? And once to me, I, I think it's a good thing that he acknowledged that outwardly because I feel if there's ever going to be a chance for him to ascend in October, it's now after this. See, you need to just be his life coach. That was unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a perfect transition because I'm a person that goes into what I like to call wellness waves where I very much want to live my life in a very healthy way, live intentionally, mindfully, and I'll do it for a little bit. And then I fall completely off the wagon and it's wine and pizza and not exercising and a lot of Bravo. And every time I'm around you, I'm so inspired. You are such a beacon of health. And every time I speak to you, you teach me about something new in the health space. And I just think so many people can look at you and learn things from you and say, hey, if Singy can live his life this way consistently, so can I. But I feel like when we talk about wellness, it's kind of a buzzword and it gets attached to different fads or trends. So as someone who does really live their life this way all the time and that is very in tune to the wellness space, I'm always down to try the newest health or wellness trends. So Singy, can you tell me one thing that you think is a must in the wellness space that people need to subscribe to and then something else that you're like, meh, pass. You don't need to waste your time. 
Wow, that's a good question. Um, I guess I would say, I mean, there are a few things that I would um, point to, and I'd love to talk about more than one, but I will just drop. I, I think water and the quality and the structure of water that people drink is extremely important, more important than we realize, because your body's like something ridiculous, like 70% water. It's it's So all water is not equal at this point by what people are consuming in different bottles and different faucets and everything else. But if you can get water in a form um, that is similar to it running down a mountain where it's vortexing through the rocks and it's maintaining its structure, there's like there's a whole other world within water and um, the properties and the science of water and the memory that water has and what the hydrogen bonds and, you know, all those things that like, I'm not even saying that cause I like know all that stuff, but just understanding that, man, there are formations that can take place when um, water is being received the right way that can truly get into your cells and hydrate your body and drive um, the functions and the things that need to happen. Like with, square one. So that's important. Um, that probably be in for another podcast, but here's what I'll, I'll talk about because a lot of people are, um, on this train, off the train, curious about the train, but we talk about intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and, um, which the, another term is, which is probably better is called time restricted feeding. You know, fasting is kind of more the negative, And so it's like, Oh, I can't eat. But if you look at it from the positive and say, I'm going to have a time-restricted feeding window, which means, that, yeah, I'm, I'm staying positive, I'm going to eat, but it's going to be within a certain period of time. And we see the studies um, show, you know, contrary to what we believe for a long time, based on the information and the research that we had, you know, eat six small meals a day or, you know, three meals and two snacks or whatever it is, but keep eating, grazing, Keep your um, metabolism going. Keep your uh, blood sugar levels stable um, and your insulin levels stable rather than extended periods of not eating and then a just rush of foods and, and many times foods that are high in carbohydrates that just shoot the glucose level up and then the insulin levels up and then you can get into a bad little little cycle. But I would say I have found... Um, I've been doing this probably for three years now, for the most part, um, is the time-restricted feeding, where um, on average, uh, my feeding window is about, you know, eight hours, within eight hours of the 24 hours. The other 16 hours of a 24-hour cycle is uh, not consuming food um, or calories. Uh, But I have found um, that mentally sharp um, by not eating – and, and so let's say at night, baseball schedule, let's say I finish eating 10 o'clock or something with whatever my last little snack is because you're up later. Um, then the next day, you know, I eat maybe around one or two um, in the afternoon or three in the afternoon. Sometimes it may go until five. Um, it's amazing how things can shift and your body can reset. But giving your body a break because digesting food and especially the way that most people eat that takes energy, and that's why so many people, when they eat a meal, especially in the afternoon, it's like, man, they got to take a nap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you want to see food as, like, fuel, not as something that, like, 
tastes great, but then I'm going to be tired. And, and I'd say for me, that change in perspective, going from, you know, living to eat, and I'll be honest on your podcast because I like you, Michelle. <laughs> okay, great. But especially after I finished playing baseball, you know, I was always been a workout guy and everything else. But I was working out because I wanted to eat whatever I wanted to eat. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep working out so I can, you know, counter the calories. And then I had this shift in my life, you know, six years ago. And all of a sudden I realized the power of eating to live. And when you saw food as really fuel for you to be able to have mental clarity, to feel good and to do the things and make the impact that you were destined to make and feel good doing it and have the energy and the recovery to do it. So for me, that was really cool. But I found that the time-restricted feeding slash intermittent fasting um, is something that more and more people should uh, take a look at because even beyond just allowing your digestive system time to rest, allowing, um, you know, fat to be burned as energy and ketones to be released and toxins as well to be released because many times, you know, toxins, um, you know, are fat soluble and they are in fat cells. So when you're burning fat and using fat as energy, you're also detoxifying and getting more mental clarity. So those things are, are powerful. And then you have even, uh, you know, cell autophagy where it's like these cells with the garbage and the things that are inside, they have an opportunity to like flush themselves in you know, and, and clean up. So it's, it's like a really good time for your body, although you may feel hungry. But I would say for those listening that are interested, find a good source. There are a lot of good sources online. Um, but start small, like have goals that you can attain. So don't try to jump in and, and, you know, go 16 hours of not eating and then eight hours. I mean, you know, set a goal that you can accomplish. So whether it's eight hours or 10 hours, like start small, work your way into it, but you will find it's crazy how things can shift to whereas you're not hungry and you look forward to your eating time and it's great, but you also enjoy that time where you're not eating because you're so sharp and you're so focused um, and it's a really cool feeling. So you're speaking to my soul here, Singy, because that's what I do. I work out so that I can eat pasta. I essentially just try to play for the tie every day and not for the, for the <laughs> like win. Uh, yeah, people are like, oh, my gosh, you're running all these half marathons. You're working out all the time. You must really like to exercise. I'm like, no, I hate it, but I love dessert. So and right. I want my jeans to fit. So uh, this seems like a good thing for me, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening or my friends that we could approach. But my follow-up question to you is then, what does someone like me do who gets hangry? Because I don't just get hungry. I will get hangry. And that's not a great space to be when you have to be in the workplace, you know? Yeah, that's hard. And I think, you know, as well, the physiology for women um, is different and can be more complicated than it is for men in terms of, you know, hormones and balancing and the different things that, you know, are going on in your body compared to a male counterpart. Um, so, you know, that could be an issue as well, but I think there are things to, whereas if you nourish your body and I don't know what your, your eating lifestyle looks like on the regular basis, but I think that for most people, if you were to even look at before going into this, you know, crash course of time restricted feeding or intermittent fasting, if you really looked at 
cleaning your diet up and, and eating a lot more whole foods instead of just your macronutrients, your proteins, carbohydrates, and fats, which everyone always talks, got to get your protein. You pay attention to the micronutrients, the vitamins, mineral, uh, minerals, and enzymes that are found in you know, plant-based whole foods and fresh foods. And when you start to nourish your body, you're not going to be as hungry because the problem with you know, a large part of our society is that we're obese and we're starving at the same time, consuming a lot of calories that don't have a whole lot of nutrients. So it's harder for an individual to come off of more of a regular eating um, lifestyle and to jump into something like intermittent fasting because they will be hangry and they will be like starving because your body is, although you may not look like it, it's malnourished because it's not getting um, the amount of nutrients it needs from, from whole foods. So I would recommend someone really move in a direction and start pounding, you know, more than just, oh, yeah, I had a salad with dinner. All right. It's, it's like, no, that's not going to be if you really want to make some changes on, you know, the, the cellular level. Like, you're going to have to do more. You can't be just, oh, I had a salad with dinner today. Oh, I had some broccoli with lunch. It's like, no, okay, what do you want out of this? You're going to have to make your plate look like, you know, 70 80% of, um, you know, vegetables and, and fruits and things that still have life in them. They haven't been cooked to where the enzymes are destroyed and nutrients are, you know, compromised. That's what your plate's going to have to look many times you know, in reverse of what it looks like right now. But if you do that or you do that or any other person, including myself, and you nourish your body, I think you can move into something like, you know, time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting uh, much easier. Do you have a wellness trend that you think people are wasting their time if they subscribe to it? Um, I'm sure there are uh, several um, that I think. I think people... One thing I think people like the whole hype of protein. Oh, you got to get you know so much protein. I think um, people are overboard with protein, and and they always that's the one thing. When I went like vegan, vegetarian lifestyle, I was like, oh, how do you get your protein? Well, there's protein as well, and like dark leafy greens and different vegetables and legumes and things. It's not just what you know the American you know farmers dairy farmers and livestock farmers oh you got to get your steaks and you got to get your milk and everything else um no there there are good plant based based proteins that you can eat in a regular meal not have to take this powdered shake all the time because i think as well when you are consuming many of these products that people are consuming that aren't in you know a whole form um by way of food you're now asking your, you know, vitamin and mineral stores within your body because these things are incomplete that you're taking in, you're pulling from your stores to try to complete these incomplete foods. And I think as well, enzymes are not present to the degree to break down these proteins so that they can truly be, you know, absorbed and assimilated in your body and work for you. And so then you have individuals that, yeah, they're working out, they, you know, they're looking thicker and everything else, but, man, they got joints and things that hurt because you have undigested proteins in your body that are moving into those, you know, really um, delicate places and, you know, causing pain. So that's the one thing, you know, there are probably a couple of things I would say, but I just, I think the obsession 
with, you know, protein powders um, is just over the top. I think that if you can find a way, you know, and really lock into the right foods and the right diet, you know, you can truly see those things as supplements instead of, for a lot of people, they're not supplements. That's, that, that's kind of the core of um, their diet and lifestyle is pounding a lot of these things like protein powders and different things like that. Two more quick questions before I let you go. So I've heard you have some nicknames, Singy, but I want to know which nickname fits you best, Sneaky Jerk or The Big Windy? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Obviously, that one was planted. (laughs) Yeah, I know, and I love the guys who uh, planted that one. Um, I would probably say Sneaky Jerk um, (laughs) because I am sneaky, and uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I guess I come across so many times to people as, you know, just, you know, really straightforward, maybe serious. And then you get to know me and you're like, this guy's crazy. And, um, and I'd like to say there's, there's a, an element of, you know, being witty. So, you, that can be dangerous, you know, and you can come up with something quick and uh, to make light or fun of something or someone and not like in a way where you're judging them or you're like, you know, downing them, but you have humor that uh, surprises people because they don't think like you would joke that way. Um, so I think that's probably more accurate that, yeah, okay. I, I don't know the jerk side of it, but kind of a sneaky kind of a sneaky not maybe not the whole jerk but you know kind of a sneaky guy um but i mean it i i mean well with it if that somehow helps okay sneaky jerk last one for you cardinals are obviously in an o2 hole and the nlcs yes or no do you think they can come back i should rephrase that do you think they will come back and win the series uh i think well since you put it out at first already i I think they can come back. Will they come back? Um, I, I can't, you know, I, I'm not going to say no. And I can't say yes because the odds just don't support that. But I'm not going to say no either. And here's why. The Nationals have a real issue in their bullpen. And there's some gap between, some real gap between Starter and Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle. And if the Cardinals the bats can come alive and or these starters that are just, you know, unflappable have a bad day or two or three. Yeah. We could be looking at a game seven and that's all you could ask for. Right. So um, I cannot say definitively that they won't nor that they will, but I do feel that as it stands right now, before game three starts, the door is still slightly open. And I think if people forget the Cardinals are so every team is weird in the postseason, but the Cardinals specifically win in the weirdest ways. Yeah. They've devil magic. I'd say that. Yeah. I'd say that. Singy, thank you so much for doing this. It was so great to chat with you. And um, hopefully we are talking about a Cardinals Nationals NLCS game seven. Hey, I'd be all for that. All right, one of the most daunting tasks of planning any kind of get-together is the bar. We've all done it. You go to the store, you just start piling things into your cart. Beer, wine, booze, whatever you can find. You're literally guessing 
at what and how much to get. So wouldn't it be nice if you could just pick up the phone and call someone, have them take care of it for you? And that's exactly what Liquid Spirits' new DIY service does. St. Louis's premier beverage catering service now offers DIY packages. So not only will they take your guest count and create a great supply of your favorite beverages, they can even deliver it to you and it's chilled. How about that? They're going to literally take care of everything for you. So your party's going to be awesome. You're going to look great and pull together and you didn't have to do anything. Minimal effort. So the next time you're planning an event, give the professionals at Liquid Spirits a call. 314-347-7297 or just visit them on Facebook and Instagram at Liquid Spirits STL. Thanks again to Singy for the time. He's so great. I really hope that we do have a game seven NLCS. That would be so awesome. Come on, Cardinals, get it done. But you know what time it is. If you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts, search for Small Talk, find it, subscribe to it, rate it, preferably five stars, and leave a review. Like this person, Troy, title of the review, Girl Power, five stars. He says, ashamed to call myself a male for all the stupid DMs we give you to, but I loved the episode of Michelle and Lux just BSing around. Lux is so full of energy and should definitely come around more often. You two were a blast to listen to. Oh, that's very nice. How I, just, I haven't listened to that one. Is there a lot of DM action? I, I don't know if she posts hers on, on like Twitter and everything. Like all the guys that hit her up, she'll post it and like put them out publicly. Do you do that as well? I don't. She puts her DMs on blast. So I had this idea to do DM roulette Ooh. where we just scrolled through our DMs and landed on one and we would read it to each other. How many do you, do you have equal amounts of, of disgusting male uh, interference with yours? No. no. Mine don't compare to hers at all, but Man. I will get. Consider that a blessing though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I will get like one or two super aggressive ones, Ugh. whereas I think she gets a lot of aggressive ones. I, I saw one on the uh, the video that we posted last week uh, on the Twitter feed from an ex-employee here. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you never fail. <laughs> oh, my God. From her? No, no. From, from, from on, on you. On me? On you. On the video we posted from from the, the sneaky Randy video. Oh. Yeah, go back and figure it out yourself. You saw, so someone we used to work with left Mm -hmm. a creepy comment. Uh Uh-huh. Which is creepy, only creepy to me because I know him, so he's always just creepy to me. It may just be simple, (laughs) but like, no. Okay, now I'm going to have to go back and try to figure out who it is. The plot thickens. Layers. Layers. Well, thank you to Troy for that review. Please subscribe, rate, review to Small Talk, and we will be back in action next week. And until then, bye. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.